In this week's episode, we are joined by Genevieve Frost to discuss what it is like entering the financial advice industry as a female and some of the shifting trends that we are seeing amongst females when it comes to their personal finances. Jen is currently the Senior Distribution Manager at NetWealth and has had extensive experience in the financial sector to date giving her a broad perspective on both the dynamics within the workforce as well as those playing out amongst our clients and communities. Nearing 20 years in industry, Jen has worked across both the Australian and UK markets. She has a true passion for helping people achieve financial security and working with those in industry to improve their own practice so that we can be best equipped to improve client outcomes. All right, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you here today. Um, You've obviously had a huge career growth to date in the finance sector. I think there's been some really impressive wins for you, but perhaps for our listeners, could you give uh, a bit of a background to all of our listeners on where you've started and where you've kind of grown your career to? Yeah, thank you so much, Tali, and thank you for having me. It's awesome to be on the show. Look, uh, careers are funny things, aren't they? You know, and it's mine certainly didn't kind of work out exactly the way I thought it was going to. I grew up in Tassie and all my life wanted to be a doctor. In fact, uh, I wanted to be a surgeon. So um, I worked incredibly hard to get the best possible grades that I could get. Wow, I had no idea about this. Is that right? Yeah, no, this is (laughs) so interesting. There you go. Surprise story on the couch. Well, that was the thing. I, I just, you know, I don't know if you were the same, but I was one of those kids that just worked so, so hard. You know, I speak to clients now who are talking about their kids being in grade 12 and I get a knot in my stomach thinking about another grade 12 oh student. My gosh. Yeah, yeah, you know? no, exactly the same. It was such a, there was so much pressure throughout that period of our lives. It was ridiculous. So much, so much. And it's it's one of those funny things. It's like, go back and tell your younger self, like just chill, Jen. You know, you don't actually have to be perfect all the time. Mind you, that's probably something I could tell my older self also, Tali, just chill and you don't have to be perfect all the time. But yeah, I know it's, it's so much easier to give other people the advice and to take it yourself is just a whole nother level of difficulty. Yeah, life lessons. <laughs> but anyway, Tali, so I desperately wanted to be um, a surgeon. So I tried to work really, really hard at school and um, left Hobart and moved to Melbourne and uh, took a gap year and um, took a role in a financial planning practice um, as an administrator, a client services manager. Um, this was your gap year fun. Yeah, my gap. Wow. My, yeah, I mean, I'm that rock and roll. That's how rock I and roll it. I am, Tali. My gap year fun <laughs> is working in financial planning. Um, turns out it is fabulously fun, Tali. Look at where. Look, I'm still here. Um, and and really, it is sort of that story. I. I went and worked at this incredible financial planning practice here in Melbourne and um, very quickly had some incredible mentors who taught me about the industry and taught me about financial advice and they had passion for their clients and um, they opened my eyes to this career in this industry I really didn't know existed. I knew nothing mm-hmm. about it. But there is such incredible altruism about dedicating your life to help people on their financial health and their yeah. financial well-being as opposed to their medical health, their medical well-being. Um, 
and as geeky and nerdy as it is, maybe I fell in love with it and, <laughs> and stayed in finance all my career. That's so interesting. How did um, how did this role come about for you? Because I think it's a really niche area to get into and it still is. I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people think about financial planning as a career plan for themselves until somehow it kind of falls into their lap. So yeah. I'm really curious how you found yourself working in this role without ever having previously contemplated advice as something that you wanted to do? Yeah, it's a great question, Tali. And I think such a problem we see in our industry with not enough people wanting to be financial advisors and it is such an incredible career. But uh, for me, it was absolutely getting a job with no experience. You know, here I was 18 years old, um, living in the big smoke in Melbourne and I needed a job um, I needed a job that required no <laughs> qualifications, darling. And and gratefully, um, that sort of client services admin receptionist role at that time, I could go in there without any real experience. Mm. And um, I mean, I'm sure Tally, this will come as a surprise, but I'm not too bad at talking. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> No. So maybe I needed that skill set, you know, to pick up the phone and to greet the clients when they walked in the door. I I was just so lucky. And in fact, there's lots of people in our industry who have similar stories. Mm. I walked in without wanting a career in financial advice, without the qualifications, without any of that. And gratefully, I started at the bottom and I had incredible mentors along the road who invested in my education, who invested in training me, invested in upskilling me so Mm. that... I went through the ranks, you know, yeah. para planning and then on to, to junior advisor. So I was really lucky to have that experience in many ways. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So when you started and you were looking around yourself at the office, did you see many other females working with you or did you see many other females working in the advice roles as well? I think that's important to make that differentiation because it's still probably um, a little bit biased in the industry, I would say, in terms of um, females that start off in that CSO role and then progress to advisor versus kind of linger in that CSO role. So what did you see? Mm. Yeah, look, um, absolutely valid question. And uh, there was a very senior woman. uh, She was a co-owner of the business, however, actually didn't give advice. She Mm. still worked in an operational administrative role and you're absolutely right all the other females in the company were in administration roles so all of the directors all of the advisors all of the people that as a young person in the office they're who you want to be you know when you've got career aspirations I want to be the top and yes they were they were all men yeah and and you know one of the examples I'll give is quite early on um I was fortunate that those directors um, allowed me to attend an industry conference that, again, you know, for a wide-eyed Tassie girl, I got to go up to Port Douglas on a conference. I was like, I'm living the best life ever. (laughs) Particularly because all my mates were at uni and broke and I'm earning a good – Port Douglas, living the high life. Correct. I'm earning earning a decent salary, learning on the job, got this phenomenally growing career and now I get to go to Port Douglas. So I thought I was amazing. But I remember – walking into that conference and I vividly remember how few females they were in the room. Mm. I vividly remember being asked more than once on across those three days to get someone a coffee. Oh, no way. They were vividly being wow. asked to get someone a coffee. Wow, yeah, that's really yeah. confronting. Well, it was just, look, yes, it's confronting and, and I certainly feel like 
that sort of behaviour has far decreased now. Yeah. But statistically it was probably an accurate call by the person mm. asking me. You know, yeah. the females in the room predominantly were probably in those in those roles where that was what they were there for. So, uh, yeah, times have certainly changed. If I think about yeah. the conferences I've been on this year, Tali, and hanging out with incredible humans like you, um, the, the, the tide has turned. Yeah, gratefully. absolutely. How did that make you feel, though, when you were in those situations? Um, I can imagine it would be quite deflating to leave a conference like that and feel like where is my place in this industry moving forward? Look, Tali, I probably have a personality that flips that by choice. You know, um, I have grown up with incredible role models. My dad uh, has always – both my mum and my dad have always just told my sister and I to just work hard and there Mm. is no limits and we can be whatever we want to be. And, and and the sky's the limit. We've, we've just always had such wonderful support in that space. So I probably think – I don't remember genuinely sitting down and being like, right, I'm going to change this and I'm <laughs> going to be this person. But I think even now my career means that I'm often in the minority in terms of yeah. my gender sitting in the room. And for me it's it's not – it's looking at it, what is the positives in this? How do I make this work for me? How do I ensure that mm. I'm representing other females around me? How do I push forward in this as opposed to feeling flattened by it? Yeah. What about what would you say to a young female entering the industry who is, I guess, a, not quite as um, resilient in that setting and would leave something like that feeling really kind of empty and mm. not wanting to pursue the career purely for those reasons? What would you say to a young girl? Yeah, Tali, it breaks my heart. There are plenty of women in our industry that I do speak to about exactly that. You know, plenty of young women saying, I can't see someone like me ahead of me. I can't see the, the career path for women in this industry. And... It is hard if you're not naturally the type of personality to be like, yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to push these walls down. I'm going to keep fighting. But I think I'd say to them, you know, keep going. We need you. Mm. We need you and this industry needs you and your clients need you. Yeah. You know, there is a phenomenal need for financial advice in the Australian market. We know with this significant decrease in the numbers of financial advisors in Australia, we still just aren't seeing humans, regardless of their gender, wanting a, a career yeah. in financial advice at the rate we need them. So if there is a young woman or a young man or anyone out there wanting a career in financial advice, I'd say stick with it, you know, give it a crack and keep fighting it even if you feel like you might look or or feel different to mm. others around you. Because it is. It's so rewarding. And it's I don't so think rewarding. there's many, many roles where I've personally felt as – um, excited at the end of the day after sitting down with a client as I have in this space. Like it's it's so rewarding. Um, but coming back to you and your career journey, so what happened from Paraplan onwards? I saw you did flip the fence a little bit. Joined <laughs> sure the dark side. <laughs> um, so tell me about that transition. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was I was young and I'd had an, a couple of incredible years working in financial advice here in Melbourne, but you know, because it it wasn't quite the journey that I assumed I'd take mm-hmm. and what I hadn't done was travelled and yeah. I'd always had a, a huge passion. Well, I mean, you spent your gap year working in a financial <laughs> advice practice, so <laughs> Tally is literally judging my gap year choice, people. 
it is there to be judged, but correct. So I'd worked and, you know, because I also really hadn't had those fabulous uni years that I was watching lots of my friends have, again, I was working. I was learning and working on the job and studying on the job. So I I sort of had decided that I really would like to travel and see some of the world and particularly go to Europe. I'd done a gap year in high school, not a gap year, a exchange, you know, spent a couple of months in Europe. Um, in high school so uh, so I packed my bags up and left and I, I went to the UK with the conversation with my incredibly supportive mentor and, and boss at the time that I'd just be away a few months and I'd come back. Yep. Um, famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> famous last words. And look I was so so lucky. Again it, it you know we spoke earlier about how did I end up in a financial advice practice in that gap year the same story applies I landed in London I'd never been to the UK I was alone I didn't know anyone in the Mm. UK I was living in a youth hostel you know beers at night getting up in the morning and getting my suit out of my locker in this grotty youth hostel (laughs) in in South London and going for job interviews and and I wasn't just going for job interviews in finance you know because it was this I'm going to spend a year working in London and so I'm going to have a different adventure anyway long story short Tali I interviewed for all sorts of things and ended up getting a role in funds management in uh, one of the biggest fixed income houses in Europe and I got a job there initially as a as an EA mm-hmm. um, very quickly moving into the into the sales team and um, and that was fixed income in leading up to the GFC so oh, wow. I worked in London in funds management over the GFC so and and in fixed income when you that were getting would have been a huge learning curve huge I mean I didn't know what fixed income was <laughs> I had no idea what bonds were I remember I remember early days at the pub with a couple of really senior like fund managers and analysts and traders <laughs> and them trying to literally explain to me what a bond was and what a yield curve was oh my goodness which was super cool. It was incredible. Yeah. I was so fortunate, you know, to live that life, live that life in a period where the markets were just nothing we'd ever yeah. seen in an asset class that was is really um, maybe underrepresented in Australia. So yeah. you don't necessarily learn that much about fixed income in Australia mm-hmm. regardless. I think it's complicated at the best of times, let alone Absolutely. a global financial crisis yeah literally (laughs) literally so it was amazing you know this was the era when that fixed income to equity um spread was the furthest it's ever been you know and just in it corporate bond funds were returning what was it 16 18 percent and we were having the time of our lives when equity markets were down 35 so uh it was a really good time I obviously learned a phenomenal amount I um got to see a side of the market that I just um I couldn't have imagined. But on a personal note, Tally, I also fell in love. I fell in love. (laughs) And I ended up getting married and I ended up having my first beautiful daughter in London. So um, professionally and personally, everything, once again, the journey was different to what I thought it was going to be. But it was amazing. I was really lucky. Incredible experience. So That's huge. Yeah. That would have been a whirlwind. So how long in total were you in London? Oh, seven or eight years. Yeah, wow. Um, and then as I'm sure many people 
um, understand you have a baby and everything changes. I, you know, I could have, in my mind, I was staying in London for another 10 years. I had no desire to come back to Australia, actually. I was really loved London. Yeah. I loved the life. We had a beautiful, beautiful network. My husband and I had beautiful friends and I just loved my life. Um, But my precious baby... Lottie was born and I remember us coming back to Australia in the Christmas and just seeing what life was like in Australia and with family around us who Mm. could help support their upbringing and all of those sorts of things and and it was my husband that very quickly said, I think maybe we should move back to Australia. So anyway, so off we did. We packed up, um, moved back to Australia and that was another interesting time, Tali, because then I really couldn't get a job. Yeah, because of... Having a child, do you think that was a factor into it? Oh, and gosh. taking time out yeah. of the workforce? Or? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also, um, Australia is not very good at recognising experience outside of Australia. Right. The Australian market is pretty bad at that. No offence to the Australian market <laughs> as a whole. But no one cared that I had – no one cared what I'd done. The question was, do you have – what's your network like in Australia? Mm. And I didn't have a network in Australia. I'd worked in a boutique financial planning practice for years. I'd up and left and gone to London and I didn't know you anyone here. You think that here. experience would be looked so highly highly upon? It absolutely was not. No. I – oh, gosh, I interviewed with anyone and everyone. I really wanted to be in sales, in finance, in funds management, ideally. Oh, and – I mean, the door was opened. I yeah. got in and I got interviewed, but never ever landed a job because there was always someone, Tali, who had the network, yeah, who had the connections. Which perhaps is another little life lesson for us, Tali, mm. and for anyone listening that keep going because yeah. you know I felt so defeated that I couldn't get this job because how can I get the network if I don't have the network yeah. if you don't give me the job to build the network do you, did you find that was a unique experience in Australia was it different when you were applying for jobs overseas look every market is unique the UK market has perhaps an an a snobbery allegiance to your education yeah you know so you're more likely they're more likely to take a chance on you if you've got a good degree and a good Mm. pedigree and you know those sorts of things and less about your interest yeah where I think Australia particularly in sales and I, I do get it you know it's easier if you're coming in the door and you've already got a network but yeah it was look it was a tough time it was a tough time for our family you know we'd moved out thinking that we'd be okay and it was and it was tough yeah you know so I went back into an advice for a year um and then gratefully a very very dear friend um also working in the industry said to me um you know go and work for this technology company because it'll be easier to get the job Mm -hmm. and then you'll start building your financial advice network yeah and she was right I went and took this job and, wow, it was hard work. It Luckily, a beautiful company, great humans. But, gee, you worked hard selling technology that's uh, very dependent on technology in, in Australian <laughs> advice markets. Um, but I did get to meet people yeah. and I got to admit advice practices and I got to understand licensees and all sorts of things that are very unique to the Australian financial advice market that I just hadn't seen on the other side. And um, gratefully, that certainly was the um, kickstart I needed to then have what is now oh, eight or 
eight or so years um, working on the sales and distribution side of the financial services market, wow. which I love. And yeah. so I'm very grateful to have the job I have and, yeah, having a really good time doing it, gratefully. <laughs> Do you ever look back and think of jumping back onto the advice side? Oh, often. Wow, really? Yeah. I hope my boss is not listening to this <laughs> podcast. Often, often because I think when you are heart-led and I, for me, you know, when you do these personality profilings and those sorts of things, yeah. it will come yeah. as no surprise, Tali, because you know me, that everything's red, <laughs> everything's about humans, everything's about the heart and the emotions. And so uh, advice for me is so deeply connected to that. Mm. Some people advise to get their clients the best financial outcomes, but for me, advice always comes from that deep care for the human and the best financial health and well-being yeah that they can get to yeah. and um, that ongoing relationship with your clients too totally totally yeah. and so yes it always appeals <laughs> it always appeals and I think it's important and again perhaps if anyone's listening and they're looking at careers on the distribution side like me on the sales side mm. people can feel that sales is crass and cold and entirely commercially driven where I always hold close to the value chain and hope that yeah. in some part the role I play is get is siphoning down to that end client but yes to answer your question Tully I, I do often think you could go back to being a, an advisor we'd be lucky to have you back in the space <laughs> <laughs> well the future is in people like your hands Tali and you know we are so lucky I'm thrilled to see incredible young women um, as young advisors in this industry that's what we need that's what we need in this space. So I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you. Well, um, we did see you earlier in the year at the the Women's in Finance luncheon. Um, so I'm curious what you are seeing with female advisors. Is there more females entering the space? And what are you seeing as the feedback from those newer entrants within that first 12 months? Because the drop-off rate is quite high. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, uh, let's be clear. We still don't have enough female financial advisors full stop we just don't have enough we don't have enough coming through university we don't have enough in the industry today um gratefully the ones we do have there's there is an incredible cohort of women in this industry making some noise you know <laughs> and letting their voices be heard and supporting the other women around mm. them and i think we're incredibly grateful for that if you jump on linkedin there's a, there's a tribe of really wonderful financial advice women who've been around a while and who are who are certainly rallying the rallying the troops but um look we know that female clients respond really well to female advisors and we know that there's a growing increasingly growing demand from females for advice so case in point, we know that that need for more female advisors is out there. But I think you're right. I think the drop-off rates aren't great. So we need to ensure that when young women are coming into the industry uh, that they're seeing people around them, they're connected to people around them who can encourage them to stick through mm. it and 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 continue down the path. Because I think that's the hard yeah, bit. Yeah, having a, a really strong mentor is everything, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it makes such a difference and I've personally been very lucky with that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, on the other side of the fence then, from a female client side, are you, um, you've mentioned about more females wanting advice. Um, what do you think is driving some of that change? Look, I think there's a lot. I think mm. there's a lot. If we look at a couple of the factors, and net wealth 
conducts an annual survey in conjunction with Core Data, who does a lot of research across our industry. And the last paper we did really focused on females' appetite for advice and and the goals around their wealth creation. And there's a couple of things we see that are really correlated with males and there are plenty of things we see that are really different. Mm. And so perhaps if we unpack a couple of those, Tali, the first the first statistic that scares me from a female client perspective that I think leads to a driver for for how important advice is, is we asked men and women how frequently they were worrying about money, how mm, often they were yeah. stressed about money. And over 50% of women said they worried about money daily or weekly. Oh, wow. As opposed to more like 34% of men. So significantly wow. higher females worrying about money daily or weekly. And when we dove, dived deeper into what was the impact of this daily or weekly stress, mm. we saw phenomenally negative impacts. So yeah. things like, you know, 45% of women saying that that stressing about money had severely impacted their health their mental health, their interactions with their friends and family and their career. And that scares me. Mm. You know, that really worries me. And Tali, I think, I don't know about you, but I look at my friendships, I look at my sister, my cousins, my mum, and I would agree with that on the whole. Yeah, same. Yeah, you agree with that? Yes. And and I don't even think that age is necessarily a massive barrier to that and our, our research proved that that young women are worried about money Mm. in fact perhaps with the current cost of living and huge pressure because those stats would have been completed i think last last year absolutely yeah Yeah, late 2002 they've only increased this year's phenomenal, right? This yeah, year's phenomenal. Look yeah. at the look at the cost of things. Look at the cost <laughs> cost of a cup of coffee, the cost of a packet of crisps. You know, so so the point is, we know that women are highly stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you you ask the question, what's driving women more women to seek advice? So let, so we know the stress point, the emotional factors around it is one. Um, the second one is we know that women live longer. Mm. Women live longer. So let's look at that baby boomer generation and we're talking a lot about intergenerational wealth transfer in our industry at the moment aren't we we're talking about are we ready for this we know that billions and billions of dollars in this next decade is going to transfer down in intergenerational wealth transfer so i think a lot of us think of that as money going to kids yeah yeah but actually in so many cases that money first goes to a wife yeah Exactly, who often has no experience in managing the household finances. I've seen it with my own nana recently of having received shares and having absolutely no idea what to do with them. And even though she knows that she will be worse off financially if she sells them, she wants to just get rid of them all now, just so that she doesn't have to deal with the stress of how to manage them. Absolutely, Charlie. Regardless of the tax consequences, just get rid of them. <laughs> well, absolutely. And mm. and that fear of it. And so you're absolutely right. So we've got this huge transfer of wealth going from husband to wife. Um, and, and that's just statistical. We know that women live longer. We know the significant per- percentage of baby boomers are married. Mm-hmm. You know, so that intergenerational wealth transfer is happening to wife. Wife potentially uh, disengaged, yeah. um, hasn't traditionally had a lot to do with the financial um, 
incomings, outgoings mm. of the household. So that need for advice is really strong. Interestingly, uh, Schroeder's put out a paper um, showing that a phenomenally high percentage of widowed women mm. leave their advisor within the first 12 months. Yes, it was something like 70 or 70, 80%. I think 74% of yeah. widowed women leave the advisor within the 12, first 12 months of the husband mm. passing away. Tali, I was in it, that Women in Finance uh, session that you mentioned. We were in a room of incredible women in uh, advice roles in this industry and they laughed at me when I gave that statistic and the females in the room said no way <laughs> no way we inherit divorcee clients widowed clients all the time mm. and they never leave us yeah uh, in fact that they female advisors often get those clients in that 12 months after husband's passed away yeah. they're leaving the relationship they that the husband had with an advisor mm. and finding a female advisor yeah so the so the real story here is if you're a financial advice practice without a female in the room that perhaps they could go to is that a, is that going to be a problem in terms yeah. of holding on to those clients i remember you had some really oh there was some discussion in the room that day of some just small practical things that advisors can be doing in that space to help reduce that statistic mm. things as little as um if you've got a couple in the room with you and you're giving advice and you notice only one half of that relationship is responding to all of your questions you need to be specifically sitting down and looking the other half of that relationship in the eye and asking them what they think because we very little make that conscious effort to do so absolutely charlie and let's be clear the same works in reverse. Yeah. You know, let's look at my generation. Um, so we were joking earlier before we hit the record button, weren't we? So technically a millennial, although <laughs> right on that fringe of the top end of a millennial. That's not what people associate with millennial vibe. But for so many of us, you know, I look at myself, I look at my friends, so many of us are the CFO of the house. Mm -hmm. We do pay all the bills. We mm -hmm. are the ones on top of expenditure. For whatever reason, there are many women in that middle-aged household right now where we are the ones making the decisions. Yeah. So that interaction in a financial advice room might even be the flip. Yeah. It's the female doing all the talking. It's the female who's leading it. And are you connecting enough with the males? Yeah, so, so true. Almost um, – different age groups different different dynamics different relationships there's always going to be a different path um two females in the room as a relationship two males in a room as the relationship i think the role as a advisor is to ensure that regardless of the gender regardless of the place they're coming from that you're connecting with all the humans yeah. in the room yeah all no, the humans so right you yeah. know and as you said tali it's it's almost a challenge you set yourself who is the person sitting in this room that is not communicating, is not connecting with me, is not in in the same place, they're the one I have to connect with now mm. then. Also, I'm curious, are you seeing differences with younger, either female or male um, clients who are now seeking advice and the expectations that they have from their advisor? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's tough out there to be a financial advisor right now because you are contending with so much. I joke around a bit, Tali, and say, you know, when I first, all those many years ago when I started as a young lady in this industry, um, 
you know, you could guarantee almost that if a client was coming in to see a financial advisor, the financial advisor knew so much more. They were immediately in a significant position mm, of power, yeah. you know, and, and I mean that in a, you know, I'm not saying they abused it, but I'm saying they were, they were in a position of power. They had a lot to teach this client who'd walked in the door. They had a lot to share with them, a lot to help them with. Th- that client couldn't access any of this without the advisor. Where if we simply look at what you and I are doing right now with podcasts, with finfluencers, with blogs, with web pages, with huge amounts of articles that go out, with all of the big instos that create content for the end client, let alone the boutiques, there is a lot out there. There's so much access to information now. It's crazy. Correct. And Too much. For, for good and Too bad. Much. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I went hard into the negative <laughs> a bit quick there, Charlie. Sorry. Too much. Okay. Um, I, I don't mean too much, but I do mean too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because now I think what it, we're what what is scary now is both the both the young and the old. And regardless of gender, regardless of anything else, um, we now run the risk of people thinking that they know what is best. Mm. And some of the examples I see, Tali, is, you know, I'm incredibly conservative. I do not want to take any risk in my investments. The thing I care the most about is preserving the capital that I've got. And so, Tali, as you and I would know, that's putting me in probably a conservative risk profile. Mm. But I definitely want to put a ton of money into cryptocurrency. (laughs) Because my friend recommended it. my mate told me that I'm going to make a lot of money out of that. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's, yeah, Yeah? you hear it too much. So then immediately, as you and I know, that's, you're going against your risk profiling. You're Mm -hmm. going against that diversification piece, that adequate protection to ensure that your investments are going to return in a way that is, that, that is going to make you feel okay in the long run. Yeah. You know, you're taking a big risk there. But that's really tough because they have been told by a mate, in fact, lots of mates, that that's mm. a good way to make money or they're, they're online and they're looking at that great stock report and they're telling them to buy up lots in these, you know, particular markets or w- whatever it is. How do we disseminate all of this information and make sure that as many Australians as possible are getting the right information for them. And again, this goes back to obviously what you guys are doing here at Kofkin Bond with the podcast is just trying to make sure that the right people in this industry are putting forward good content, Mm. directing everyday Australians into the right place. You know, um, I think that job will always be huge and – Thankfully, there's incredible people out there trying trying their best to get it done. So yeah, and I think the the industry is still facing so many changes. And the last time I heard you speak was about AI and some of the tech developments. And I think once we start to see a little bit more of that trickle into the the everyday practice of our um, businesses, advice as a whole should become more affordable, so that we can start spending more time on the educational piece rather than focusing in on certain niches that might be more commercially viable. Oh, Tali, you and I would have to start a whole nother episode to do <laughs> yes, a whole nother hour talking about that. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, hand on heart for a f- years now, it's probably been, for me, the single biggest um, challenge in our industry is I look at financial advisors on the whole, particularly post-Royal Commission days where they – are genuinely incredible humans, genuinely trying to do the right thing for their clients, genuinely trying to make their clients' lives better, healthier, happier, 
less everyday stress about Mm -hmm. money. Um, but the overlay of the compliance rigmarole and the pressure, the, that that pressure to ensure that everything is letter by the letter of law, means that advice is expensive. Yep. It means that that capacity to serve is becoming more and more <laughs> only for the wealthy. Which let me let me just remind ourselves: is this not exactly what the Royal Commission was trying to yeah. stop? You know, so you're absolutely right, darling. I think um, as things like artificial intelligence and the ability to use technology to to serve everyday Australians better, that hopefully will enable advisors to have a value proposition that isn't full and complicated and, and holistic and touching every corner like so many of your clients need and is going to cost is there a value proposition that we can give just to get younger people on the straight and narrow, on the right path, you know, so that they're facing in a direction mm. that they want to be and so they're aware and in tune with their superannuation, yeah, you know, and, and that it is that cost is not prohibitive. Right. Well, I guess in closing then, what would be your recommendation to someone who's probably not at that stage yet in the current way that our industry is set up um, they, they might not be in a position yet to seek out a financial advisor, but they're wanting to get themselves started. What sort of resources would you recommend that they're going to that can provide, I guess, safe advice and a bit of guidance before they're ready to see an advisor? Mm, wow, Tali, million-dollar question <laughs> on a recorded line. Ah, <laughs> uh, wow, like how hard is that question? How? I mean, really, dull, like million-dollar question. Hand on heart, honestly, for me, listen to content from reputable sources. Mm. You know, we are – there are incredible financial advice firms like you guys out there creating great content. So when you go to listen to a podcast, read a blog, read an article – this also PS applies for every aspect of your life, not just finance, Mm. stop and look at where that's coming from. So a classic example of this is mainstream media that is incredibly biased, that is incredibly um, leaning towards who's paying them. Mm -hmm. You know, is news.com.au a reliable, impartial source of news? I mean, I'm not going to answer that question. I want to leave that hanging. I'll leave that wide open. (laughs) You know, so my encourage, what I would encourage young people today, if they're in a position where they want to start making some really great conscious decisions to put their financial journey on the right path, is be acutely aware of the audience. Um, of the creator of the content mm, that you're yeah. reading and listening to. Yeah, you know, so important. Yeah, like there's a lot of influencers, Instagrammers that quite frankly I would just stay really clear of because mm. they're just not necessarily coming from a highly educated place. So mm. be really cautious about where it's coming from. Um, more to the point, Tali, just do something. Just yeah. make a decision. Yeah. Be interested. Be engaged. You know, the reality is with something like your superannuation, if you are young and you have 40, 50 years of your working career ahead of you, then within reason, you can't make a mistake, Tali. Yeah. I just said that on the record. You know, I mean, I don't mean that. But, like, you can't make a mistake. The greatest thing you can do is be interested, pay attention, enjoy the ride, like, get engaged in your financial security just so you so you Get you're curious there. about it. Yeah. 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 No, so good. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate your time today. Always so good to chat with you. I could probably chat for another hour, but <laughs> we'll try and wrap things up here. So thank you. Thank you so much, um, Tali. Love chatting with you. Love what you guys are doing here. 
Thank you. The Kofkin Bond Podcast is a product from Kofkin Bond & Co., which we are an authorised representative of Kian Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Kofkin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.